You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Arn, the man of the hour, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the enforcer himself, Double A, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? I'm excellent. We are closing in on Atlanta, Georgia, Dynamite. You know that. Yeah, tomorrow's the big day, man. Uh, Cody Wardlow in a steel cage, AEW Dynamite. If you haven't been paying attention. Uh, our, our fellow co-host here, Arn Anderson is the coach for one of the EVPs for AEW Cody Rhodes. You don't want to miss. It is a big show right there in Atlanta next Wednesday. And man, all eyes are on Cody this week, huh? Yep. It's a homecoming, you know, for a lot of people that work with AEW, um, it's a homecoming, but it is the biggest match I would say thus far in Cody Rhodes' career with AEW. And uh, he is excited, but in a nasty, vicious, let's get some payback way. And that's the kind of guy that it's easy to coach because he is chomping at the bit to get that big guy in that cage and run him until his tongue hangs out and then double back and stomp his brains out. Sound like a strategy? I, I like it. I like the plan and I'm excited as a fan to see, you know, an AEW cage match. I don't think we've seen one of those yet. So curiosity is going to kill the cat or maybe it kills Wardlow. Find out tomorrow night live on TNT AEW. By the way, tickets are on sale. If you're in the Atlanta area and you'd like to come see the show, I think there's still a handful left. AEW ticks, AEW com. You can probably get a great seat to see uh, Cody whip somebody's ass up close. So don't miss it. One little note before we move ahead. The difference in this cage match and ones they've seen over the last 15 years, you cannot win by escape. You have to win by pinfall or submission inside that cage. So it's back to the old school theory of cage match is going to be payday for somebody. It's just a question of whom. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man. I got chill bumps when you explained. Can't wait to see tomorrow. It's going to be live. It's going to be the place to be. Atlanta GA, AWTIX.com has your hookup. Or, of course, if you're not in the market, by all means, tune in live on TNT and support the enforcer here. And uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in this week. We had a heck of a show last week. I got incredible feedback. You and I being in the same room watching old wrestling together. And, uh, man, people just could not believe your Van Hammer story. What was the feedback you got? Same thing. And, you know, I had a blast. You got some comfy chairs in that big, uh, <laughs> media room fella. I appreciate that. 
by design. That was a little different, you know, take for me too. So I really enjoyed that. It, uh, you know, I was very comfortable. Thank you for having me in your home. And, uh, it was a good deal. It was a good deal. And we're glad to be back on format here. Uh, we should let you know, we're going to be doing a Q and a, but we've got a brand new topic for you next week, but there's so much meat on the bone. People love picking your brain. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Great friend of the show. Bad money. Slim writes in. Can you take a second and tell everybody why Carreras are the best sunglasses ever made? Well, because even on a fat head like mine, they look tremendous. The styling, number one, they're durable. You know, I'm one of those guys that every time I turn my head or somebody says something to me or I take a step, my glasses are falling off. Heavy duty, durable, good looking glasses. And, uh, they are a little expensive, but Hey, when you wear glasses, you know how important they are to having a quality life. You got to see if you're going to do anything else. Careers are awesome. Mayhem has an interesting question. One, I don't think you and I've ever talked about what's the biggest pop you ever heard. The biggest pop I ever heard. Wow. Hmm. God almighty, I've heard some big ones. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm going to have to see if I can check my memory banks and get this right. For some reason, it was uh, Italy. It was when I was with WWE. And I want to say it was Billy Gunn and Bob Holly against what was the guy's name? The Italian fella that worked for us in that period. Santino Morella? The, it, not Santino. He became a police officer in Las Vegas. Oh, Rico Constantino. Rico and the guy that was that had the enormous feet for ECW. Oh. Italian gimmick. Nunzio. Perfect. Nunzio. How can I not remember Nunzio? Those red boots he used to wear used to mystify me because they were three feet long. <laughs> um, unbelievable. It, it, it took clown shoes to a whole different deal, but his feet were that big. So it, it wasn't, you know, funny to him. But for some reason, we were in, and what is the city where all the fashion comes from in Italy? You know what I'm talking about? Come on now, you're the information source. Well, what is it? What is it? Milan. It was one. Of, it was it, Milan. Yes, okay. Milan. There for some reason. I mean, now the house was packed. Those guys went out. I want to say they were the first match of the night, and the chanting had already been really loud. Place was full. When those Italian fellas came out of the shoot, Billy and. Uh, and Bob were already in the ring. I've never heard anything that deafening. The acoustics were beside themselves. You know, the people were just crazy. And and we hadn't been there in years, obviously. Um, it was a tour over there. And when those guys came through the shoot, Nunzio and Rico, they got the loudest pop I've ever heard. Wow. That's remarkable. Of all the answers I think I could have gotten, I don't think I've ever expected that one. That's why I love doing these shows with you. That's awesome stuff, man. 
Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's not who you would think. It wasn't the main event. It was the first match of the night. Just showed you how rabid and excellent those fans are over there. JW writes in an interesting question, one that we get different variations of quite a bit. Uh, when you were a producer for WWE, what are the steps that you took to put a match together with the wrestlers? So just walk us through sort of the process. Well, you got to know how much time you got. You got to know where you are on the show. You got to know if these guys are in an angle or is this just a cold match? This just put out there to get a winner and a loser. Um, you got to survey all the surroundings around that match. Then you got to find out how much time you have. If it's a one segment match or is it a two segment match, which means you're going to have a three minute break there in the middle, which you have to account for as far as your strategy going into that break. What are you going to do? That's going to hook the audience so that, Three minutes later, they're there when you get back. That's the main thing. You want them, if they turn the channel for that commercial break, to come back so that you get that full number and you get the conclusion of the story. Um, then you got to figure out what guys do well. And, you know, if, if the opponents or the combatants, however you want to put it, have not done their homework and they don't know to stay away from this or go to that or work to a guy's strengths or work away from his weaknesses. That's what you're there for, to have that information and to help them along and what their strategy is going to be putting the match together. Good stuff. Let's keep it going. Um, the Mr. Perfect fan Canada has written us a lot of great questions says, in the second war games match, JJ was replaced by the war machine, which of course was big Bubba under a mask. Uh, was there no way for you to use the big Bubba character instead at the time? War machine seemed really lame. Whereas big Bubba was pretty cool. And I concur and I agree. And that was not my call. Obviously. Uh, geek tales writes, no one has been present for more of Dustin Rhodes career than Arn. Did you see how good Dustin was becoming when they started working together back in 1991? Sure did. I've always said that second generation wrestlers have an edge. It's like some of the knowledge, just being around the business, just being taken to the matches as kids, the mom bringing them to see their dad and growing up in the business and being around it and being around the dinner dinner table, you know, while the conversations are about business and all the things that you get extra being a second generation wrestler, I think helps most everybody that is a second generation, but some people are just, you know, they called him the natural, the, whoever came up with that, they were absolutely right. He is a natural performer. And, uh, to this day, uh, he is still being creative. He is starting to transition towards a coach slash talent where he's going more part-time on the talent and splitting his time up and helping these young kids. And you can just see that he learned the business from a time when there were a lot of pros. And when you're learning from Ricky Steamboat and Bobby Eaton and, and all those talented guys, Steve Austin, Larry Zabisco and, you know, Rick Rude, you name the list of guys that Dustin worked with. Everything was a learning process, and he could just soak it in. Barry Wyndham as a friend and a partner. My God, it, it, does it get any better than that? 
just listen to Barry talk, you're going to get better in this business if you have the right attitude and the right aptitude. And Dustin does. And uh, he's a credit to the business today. He's happier than he's ever been. And he's helping these young guys figure it out. And uh, I'm really happy that I'm still around to see it. Speaking of 1991, we got a question from a great friend of the show, Drake. A lot of our listeners recognize him as uh, the most tan referee in all of WWE NXT. And he writes in, when you get a chance, can you ask Arn what his tan regimen was in 91, 92? Was it a tanning bed? Was he doing shoot rays out on the beach? I'm dying to know because it's a thing of freaking beauty. Well, thanks for the compliment, but don't think you're going to be able to reenact this this world-class tan that I had at that time, even if I do give you the secrets. And they're not that big a secret. The key is don't use the cheap tanning beds. Get the better ones, the high-end ones. Don't go too many days in a row. And when it springtime hits, when you get that 70-degree day and up, and you can ride that out depending on where you live. A lot of guys live in Florida. You can tan year-round. But the key is to mix the real sun in with the tanning bed. And uh, you'll be happy with the results, my man. like it. Uh, Geektails wants to know, every fan has a best-to-never-hold-the-world title list. Arn is on a lot of people's, including mine. Who is on Arn's? That's a great question. Do you have a list of guys that you think, Man, that guy should have been one of the top guys. Why did he never hold the strap? Uh, Rick Rude was never the champion, was he? Well, some folks count the uh, the WCW title when he held the big gold belt, even though technically that wasn't the WCW title at the time. But we'll count. Anybody else on the list? What about Kurt Henning? I think Kurt held the AWA, but that's probably it. And I think he's on everybody's short list. That's a great call. Um, One more, maybe? What about Ted DiBiase? There you go, man. I think that's uh, pretty much the trifecta. That's, uh, the most common three that I hear. And I'm glad to hear it from an expert like yourself. I don't think I give Teddy enough credit, you know, cause we're trying to cover so much every week and, and go back and I'm checking my memory and, you know, we're kind of doing this on the fly, which I think is what makes, you know, you and I don't sit here and rehearse anything. No. You give me a buzz and you and I just talk for a couple hours and, you know, the, the audience are the recipients and it's, it's just me, whatever you do. And you always do a great job of jogging my memory. I don't think I give Teddy enough credit. He was a tremendous performer and he could go out and he could pull the best out of junkyard dog, or he could turn around and pull the best out of Hulk Hogan or turn around and pull the best out of Randy Savage or probably anybody you want to name on that list, Teddy could have be the guy to have their best match. And I don't think he gets enough credit. Um, I know he was my first mentor really in the business and I'm forever grateful for that. But he, uh, he was a tremendous performer. He could make anybody look a lot better than they were. No doubt about it. One of the all time greats. Uh, Brett of Jack writes in, what exactly happened with John Cena and the Nexus edge and Randy wanted to let them go over, but John vetoed it and decided that he would single-handedly beat them. Since you work so closely with John, you're in a unique position to know the truth. 
Of course, brother Jack is referring to the rumor and innuendo, uh, for whatever reason, lots of times people just sort of see the worst in people. And in that era, John Cena, a lot of wrestling fans felt like was being shoved down our throats. And some folks think that's what happened. What really happened? Well, I don't think there's any mystery. Uh, it's John Cena became the face of the company. It was announced. It was uh, put into place, and Vince was 100% behind it, and he was going to get pushed to the moon, which he was. Uh, I think the Nexus had legs. That could have been another year and a half deal if they didn't bum rush it, if they just let those guys get over week by week by week by week. But once you put them in the mix with a John Cena and he, they're there to stay, you know, it's kind of hard to keep heat on those guys. I mean, these guys, these are seven or eight horses and young horses and guys that could be groomed and developed. And as a unit, they should have been unstoppable. Any three guys or any four guys, four top guys shouldn't have been able to beat those guys. And it was just one of those things that it was just sitting right underneath everyone's nose. Why beat them? Right. Well, who knows? You know, it happened. I know that nothing was going to stand in the way of John accelerating himself to the top of the company. And, you know, good for him. That was Vince's call. And, and, uh, Everyone was supportive of it. Didn't mean everybody was happy about it. I just thought overall it was a mistake to damage the Nexus as early as they did. Big Red 603 writes, it seems as if everyone has a different opinion of Paul Heyman and their experience with him. What was your experience like working with Paul during the Dangerous Alliance days? Any fun stories during that era? Well, Paul was young and uh, gun-ho and one of these guys that was glad to be there and was smart, you know, he was a student of the business. He had, you could tell he had studied everything about everybody. Um, <clears throat> he hustled, you know, he was one of the hardworking guys behind the scenes. He didn't mind going, talking to this guy, coming, talking to that guy, you know, doing this, you know, what do you need? Aaron, what do you guys need? Da, 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 da. I mean, he was like a, you know, a, a workhorse as far as the backstage stuff and organizing guys and, Hey, we need to talk about this. Do you mind finding this guy and that guy? But the main thing was, is he brought a maturity in his thinking, even for a young guy. And you could tell he was destined to do more on the creative side. And when you got control of your own company, you can do a lot of creative things and which he, he did. He developed ECW along with that list of talent and, and, uh, ownership and and uh, all the people that pulled together to make that a separate entity within the business and paul's got to you know take credit for that he was the leader of all that stuff and uh it's a brand that still stands today fun question here uh from late to the nitro party any memories of the 89 royal rumble it's your only appearance in the rumble match as far as i know uh, we weren't, yeah, we weren't, uh, supposed to make a big dent or a big impact in that match. We were just kind of there as filler. So that's the reason we decided we would create our own moment, which was Hogan clotheslining the both of us out over the top. 
uh, it's one of those deals that we knew we could at least pull off, make sure that it was done properly, make Hulk look as good as he possibly could because he was the man at that time. And uh, so that's what we did, and that's what I remember about that match. Romeo Race writes in, did you enjoy wrestling Hulk Hogan? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, he was Hulk Hogan. Um, the guy is one of those four or five guys that when they go back and break the business open and look at it from the inside out, I mean, he was a guy that came along at a time where heroes were important. And he was a hero. He was a hero to the kids. He was a hero to the adults and all wrestling fans. You know, it was when the business was evolving. No one looked at it as being, you know, you know, take your vitamins and, and, and the whole scenario that he laid out there. You know, a lot of people look at that today and go, well, that was cheesy. Well, it wasn't cheesy then. You know, he was telling basically the kids that were watching him out there, hey, you know, do the right thing. And uh, it fit that time. And uh, to be able to go in as a heel and feel that audience get behind him and feel that groundswell when he would sell for you, they were just waiting on that big Hulk up comeback. And uh, to be involved in that and be getting your ass handed to you by a guy and the, everybody in the arena standing up for it, pretty cool. No doubt about it. Very cool. Uh, Adam B wants to write in, <laughs> this is fun. I think you have fun with this one. Hypothetically, what would you do again? Eat ostrich or wrestle a 60 man or 60 minute rather Iron Man match with renegade. I would be pureeing that ostrich in a blender and drinking the shit. <laughs> oh my God. That's so fun. Oh my gosh. I don't know where we're going to go with that, but I do know where we should go at some point today. And that's rockauto.com. I feel like I should just mention this rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for like 20 years. Go to rockauto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Lord knows I've done it. I got my dad a classic car years ago. It was his dream car, but you know, those classic cars, they need stuff. Thankfully, rockauto.com has everything you could possibly need from engine control modules to brake parts, to tail lamps, to motor oil, to even new carpet. And whether you have a classic or a daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Now, here's what's important to know. If you go down to one of these chain stores in your market, you're probably going to realize they've got separate pricing tiers, one for the professionals and one for the do-it-yourselfers. I don't think that's fair. Neither does rock auto rock auto.com is going to make sure you always get the lowest price possible rather than charging you prices based on what the market will bear. They'll never do that. And what's really cool is the rock auto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer. Best of all, the prices at rock auto.com, as we said, always reliably low. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Don't do that. Go right now to rockauto.com and see all the parts that are available for your car or truck. And then when you get to the portion that says, how did you hear about us? Write in Arn, A-R-N, so they know we sent you. 
It's an amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need, all from rockauto.com. And Arn, you, uh, you've been known to put some miles on a vehicle. Having a place you know you can go to to get a good deal for parts is a no-brainer, is it not? Yes, sir, buddy. And I tell you what, I'm also a big fan of are, are the older muscle cars and such. You know, and those, they're hard to find parts for. Sounds like we have got the place just for everybody that owns one of those older vehicles. You got it. RockAuto.com for your classic car, your daily driver, whatever. They've got hundreds of manufacturers. You don't want to miss it. Don't overpay. Get a great deal. RockAuto.com. Uh, Chris Rinaldi writes, can you find a creative way to ask Arn to discuss his mastery of the DDT? And if permission had to be asked or granted for other wrestlers to adopt the so-called patented moves across promotions, I always loved how Arn would nail the DDT on a run in. Of course, last week we actually saw you do it in a watch along and you talked about how you would snap it instead of just sort of ease into it. Are there any other little tips about the DDT? And what's protocol in that era when you're using a guy's sort of patented move? If it's his trademark move, uh, how's that supposed to be approached from uh, a traditional sense? Well, you should probably back up and uh, and realize that I stole it from Jake, which we all steal from each other. I just tried to do it differently. Um, Jake's was more of a pull him in, pause wait a second, stick them. I tried to explode into my version of it. And it was, you know, if you look at it, um, the way I looked at it, I wasn't stealing just an out and out theft. I was actually paying homage to something that I saw that looked like a kill shot. And I was just going to try to put my little twist on it to make it look like an even more sudden out of nowhere kill shot. Uh, but, uh, wasn't my move. I did steal it. I never claimed to not steal it. And I was glad that Jake came up with it because it served me well throughout my career. Absolutely. And I think, um, everybody can see the difference between yours and his and two totally different styles, but either way, it could have been uh, easily your finisher that in the uh, spine buster, probably your two biggest signature moves. Wouldn't you agree? I would say so, yeah. And there are some fans out there of a gourd buster, which I used uh, sporadically and a little bit at the first of my career. I just saw that uh, some people weren't very comfortable with it. They didn't feel like it was safe. It was safe, or I wouldn't have done it to anybody if I thought that it wasn't going to be safe. Uh, but those are the three big moves that I, that I had. I didn't have a whole, whole bunch of offense. I just tried to do a few things. Well, a friend of the show here, uh, who is apparently a big listener, Pierce marble. He asked about a thousand questions this week and Lord knows Pierce. We appreciate you participating. Uh, there's no way I can ask 150 of your questions, but I will do a few sort of rapid fire ones here. Arn, we'll hit a few in a hurry. You ready for this? I hope so. What show do you think was your biggest payoff? Not the dollar amount, the show. Show the biggest payoff. Probably I had the most satisfaction after the first war games. I like it. Who do you think was the funniest wrestler you ever worked with? Funniest wrestler. I know Bobby Heenan was right at the top. I'm going to put him at the top. He was the sharpest, funniest, most cutting edge guy I've ever been around. 
Uh, this is a random one, but people have really enjoyed you talking about food. We're going to get deep in the weeds on some of these pork or beef barbecue. Oh, beef brisket, beef brisket from Texas. Matter of fact, was in Austin last week and I missed out getting some brisket. And that really perturbs me because it's, it's the best in the land. I'm telling you, if you're specifically going for beef brisket, Texas is your place. What's your go-to drink at the uh, bar these days? Don't drink anymore. Uh, but when I did, uh, it was a double Stoli Seabreeze. <laughs> I love that. Uh, whoever we talk to in the Horseman, somehow vodka is involved. That's the go-to. Is vodka the official drink of the Horseman? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, everybody kind of, you know, think about vodka. You can't really smell it on somebody. You know, uh, so the, the, the hook in the whole thing is they don't realize you're drunk. They just think you're stupid. <laughs> Last one from Pierce gas or charcoal grill. Uh, gas only because it burns a lot hotter and is a lot less trouble. Uh, I gotta get you come around on that one. I'm going to coach you up on some charcoal. I got some life hacks for you next time you're down. Deal. Dave wants to know what in Arn's opinion is the best piece of long-term storytelling that he's seen in wrestling for my money, despite the under delivering climax of Starcade 97, it's sting versus the NWO, but I'm curious to see what Arn thinks. Storytelling, huh? Ah, my gosh. Um, Let's come back to that. Yeah, no problem. We'll keep it moving here. Dismal Abysmal wants to know what makes Terry Taylor, Terry Taylor so valuable that the WWF and WCW tolerated him going back and forth between both companies for so many years. And he writes in here, he jumped six times across a nine year span. Well, obviously, uh, Terry was dependable. Uh, Terry knew the business. Terry was a good worker. Um, he had a lot of positive attributes, um, look good in a suit. Didn't mind dressing up, looked like a, uh, corporate guy. Um, Terry had a lot to offer as far as organization and it'd been around the business and, and a lot of different companies and, and different ways of doing business. And, uh, he was pretty well-rounded in his thought process. So, I can see where as the management would change within a company, then uh, there was no history of Terry being there. If the new guy didn't keep up with history, and a lot of times in WCW, the new boss would come in, and he didn't care about what had happened before. He was just moving forward, and I can see the opportunity for Terry to, to be hired a lot of times. Rick Hughes, 88 writes in, we see several DDTs and super kicks per match these days where once upon a time, these moves were only used to end a match. How does Arn feel about these moves now becoming more transitional moves? I hate it. First time I saw Chris Adams on the Dallas, uh, television show, uh, the Von Eriks. First time I saw him do a, a super kick on which Jesus Christ if that was me and they could get me awake, I'm going to be in a hell of a fight with that guy because he just kicked his head off. I mean, it brought me out of my chair, and it was a excellent finish. 
Uh, I think it's one of the moves that is the probably the the most abused move in wrestling today is a super kick. Yeah, and I think guys are going to be they're probably going to be pissed at themselves a couple years, three years down the road when all of a sudden a super kick is no more than a clothesline because they took a kill shot that can get any smaller guy back even on a bigger guy. If it's done right and put in the right spot, it is a tremendous get-me-back-even move. And you don't have a lot of those left anymore. I mean, there's only so many things you can do in this business. You can't continue to create stuff. There's only so many things that are out there that are physically possible to do. And I think a DDT, when it's done right, same thing. It should at least change the momentum slash mood or complexion of an entire match. Other than just being a, uh, you know, like a bridge to get to something else. Should be a featured move in any match that's used in both of those moves. I recently hung out with uh, Jim Ross, as you know, and and he has a new pet peeve. Uh, maybe it's not that new, but he's annoyed at the overuse of the thigh slap. And I heard a few years ago, Fit Finley joked that this generation would have cauliflower thighs instead of cauliflower ears. Where are you on the leg slap? Well, I can assure you, Fit Finley never slapped his leg. If he's ever kicked you in the back, <clears throat> it will uh, adjust you from head to toe. It will probably have sparks coming out of your ears. Uh, anything that you could think of. Uh, and he would be a guy that would hate something like that. It's you know, it's just a kick in the face. Everyone understands what a kick in the face is. You don't have to dress it up. You don't have to make it bigger than what it is. You don't have to make it crack. If the contact is, is there, if it's done properly, if it's sold properly, it's a standalone deal. Hey, the guy just got kicked in the face. Uh, that's just one of those things that has came along and crept, crept into our business somehow. And it's not even done well in most cases. It's so see-through. Um, doesn't have a place in the business. Ryan Burroughs writes in, hypothetically, what would Arn think about a four-person team with Cody Rhodes, Hangman Adam Page, and the Revival managed by himself? Um, I would have the time of my life just sitting there watching those guys uh, burn the house down every night and any number of combinations. You just talked about four excellent workers that are young ass kickers and study the business and are students of the business. That hangman page every week I see him, he gets more on my radar, more on my radar. You know how I feel about the revival of the best team in the world right now. And I think Cody Rhodes is probably the number one baby face I would say in the business right now, and he is in a leadership role in a company that's just going to get better and stronger each week that passes. So I would be honored to be the manager of those four guys. All I would really have to do is get me one of those big comfortable chairs out of your theater room, Conrad, (laughs) 
have it hauled to ringside and just sit there and enjoy myself. They wouldn't need me to do anything. I'd love to talk about the results after what I just saw and the match was over, but that's about all they'd need me for. You know, we get lots of questions about the revival. There's obviously lots of rumor and innuendo if you keep up with the dirt sheets these days, but you know, you, you were friendly with those guys when you guys worked together. Um, sort of talk to our listeners about what you think makes the revival such a special tag team. I haven't seen a team come along, you know, in a couple of decades that studied old tape, studied several other teams that had came before them and take and handpick what they saw that they liked and turn it into their own stuff. And, you know, it was pretty easy to spot after watching a couple of tag matches that they use the theory. Now I'm, I'm putting theory being the key word of Tully and myself on tag matches to work, but they did it in their own way. They upgraded it. They made it their own, but the philosophy was the same. It was always knowing where your partner is, knowing what your opponent's strengths were and their weaknesses, try to exploit their weaknesses, uh, try to suck a guy into chasing you. And while he's involved in the chase, he gets blindsided by the partner that he forgot about. All the things that make a great heel team, those guys have studied. And not only have they studied, their execution with every team they work with, they know what those guys do well. They play to those guys' strengths, and they execute everything to a T. You don't, you know, they're almost so good that I think they've been, you know, taken for granted. All I, all I would say was look around and tell me who's in second place. What heel teams in second place that are as good as those guys, or could even push them? As far as the top spot, there's really nobody in second place. So, you know, it sounds like maybe I favor them more than I should because they copy our stuff. No, they're just that good. Watch a few of their matches. It should be crystal clear why I say they're the best team in the world. It's funny that you say, you know, they took it seriously and watched old tape and, and learned from the past because years ago I tweeted out, I forget the exact tweet. But the gist was I was looking to see as much brain buster stuff as I could. So your run with Tully Blanchard in the WWF and they slid my DMS and said, Hey, talk to this guy. And, and immediately they hooked me up with a guy who had every televised match, whether it was America or otherwise that you and Tully had. And it was just fascinating that within minutes of the tweet, uh, I knew exactly who had all the footage. And of course it was the revival who knew where to find it. So no surprise to you, I'm sure. No, no. And, and if you're, you know, if you're the boss and, and you see that guys are putting in that kind of homework, my God, why wouldn't you just revere those guys and appreciate them and be thankful to have them and do everything you can do to get the very most out of that team. It's just beyond me because I mean, they're special. Yes, they are. No doubt about it. Uh, DT writes in a much more lighthearted question. Uh, which of the four horsemen had the worst smelling farts on a road trip? I'm guessing Oli had to be up there. 
Oh, I'm sure. Well, I, I wasn't in the car with Ole that many times, but I'm sure his, you know, had to be just because he was so sour. <laughs> He's such a sour push, you know, as far as had to really stink. It had to be absolutely putrid. But I would imagine um, probably each and every one of us probably stunk at different times. Craze 2K writes, how challenging was it working with Scott Steiner during a singles run from 99 to 2001? The rumor in innuendo is that the agents were scared of him. Any stories you can share? I enjoyed working with Scotty. You know, that was back when the time when Scotty was, you know, he wasn't big Papa Pump yet. You know, he was Scott Steiner who looked like a million dollars, was a young kid that could do, you know, anything in that ring. I mean, he, he could do cruiserweight stuff at 200 and probably 55 pounds, you know, tremendous body sold well, you know, uh, he was just learning the business and, and, you know, we would talk about stuff and, and he was learning and he was receptive and, you know, I, I, my entire career that I worked with both Steiners, I never had any issues as far as, uh, you know, those guys being reckless with me or hurting me or not wanting to do business. I never had any of those issues, which some people did, and I'm sure their claims had some merit, but uh, I never suffered from any of that stuff with those guys. They were great. Philip writes, a great question here since WrestleMania season is upon us. What was your favorite WrestleMania match that you agented for? Now you've told us before that you really thought a lot of the WrestleMania 23 way with Shawn Michaels, triple H and Chris Benoit. Is there another WrestleMania match that stands out? Anytime that you're involved in a WrestleMania main event. And I had so many because I had John for all those years. And, uh, John was always in a feature match. Um, there's really, you know, and I know that, that it almost seems like I have selective memory, but I don't, but when you're in big matches with John Cena and you're in storylines, which, which puts him, you know, involved with the top heels of whatever time period you want to talk about, whoever was being featured was working their way up as a heel to work with Cena. That was the top guy for, you know, probably a decade or more. All those matches, you know, if you named them off for me, I would probably be able to give you more details, but it was always WrestleMania was Christmas morning. It was payday. All your work for the entire year was culminating on WrestleMania day. So, you know, they started to, you know, there were so many matches and so many angles and so many opponents. It's hard to even remember who they were. Um, but anytime you have the opportunity to, to have a, a top match and have some input into it and see that your ideas worked and, you got 90,000 people screaming and raising hell. It's mighty rewarding. Um, I would just say that any match that I was ever involved in that I saw top talent take some of my suggestions when they didn't have to, they could pretty much do whatever they wanted and see that stuff work for them. That's the reward that I got the last 20 years of the business because I was unable to wrestle 
that was my niche in the business to be able to help guys just get better. Even guys that were on top. And, uh, that's the best answer I could probably give you. Brad Hyde has a, a question that probably, uh, was more pertinent in the territory era. Did Arn ever have to wrestle someone who was drunk or high? Oh my God. I'm sure many times. Uh, but you know, nothing that there was an incident that stood out or one that I would single out, but I'm sure guys used to get stoned all the time before matches, you know, and, and, uh, as long as I was in control of the match, I could control, you know, if a guy was high or clumsy or just a shits, you know, you sometimes you couldn't distinguish one from the other, but there was never anything that I, that you just went, Hey, that guy's hammered over there. Just leave him on the apron. I don't have any recollection of that. Andy has an interesting question. One you're going to have to put your thinking cap on. Would you have given up your years as an mm-hmm. agent and working with young talent for 10 more years in the ring? Hell yes. <laughs> don't have to think about that one at all. Since I've been eight years old, all I ever wanted to be was a wrestler. Never wanted to be president, didn't want to be a fireman, didn't want to be a policeman, didn't want to be a movie star, just wanted to be a wrestler. And when it went away and it was crystal clear that I was going to be unable to ever wrestle again, and I go back to the story of when I was rehabbing after surgery and the little guy came up, smacked me on the back and went, Hey, double A, where you been? And, uh, I dropped that bottle of water and that electric shock went down my spine and it just, it was like the voice of God be just billowing into my ears. It's over. There's the example I'm going to give you. It's over. You're done. Find something else to do. Because immediately I looked around and saw this little bitty guy, five, six, 130 pounds, who just sent a shockwave through my body by just smacking me on the back and not even hard. And when you have that kind of realization, it's pretty hard to deal with. But in the same sense, it's pretty clear, crystal clear what the message was. And it was, hey, if that can happen from a guy like that, I damn sure don't want to be getting suplexed or slammed or clotheslined or anything of that nature by the monsters that inhabit this business. And uh, I knew then it was over. And uh, nothing has ever been the same. Nothing will ever be the same as far as my business uh, endeavors go, nothing will top going through that curtain and performing for the fans pro and con all those reactions that you get from the audience and the emotion that they give you. There's nothing comparable on this earth and anybody that's in this business that is in it just for the, just for the wonderment of going through that curtain and performing and coming back through that curtain and being crystal clear in your mind, you and your partner just tore the joint down. You don't have to ask anybody how it was. You don't have to get any verification from anybody. You know, 
There's nothing could top that that I have been a part of on this earth. Wow. Oh, man. Let's take a lighthearted question here. Kevin writes, if you had a severely hurt back, but had to wrestle a 60 minute Ironman match against the ultimate warrior or Goldberg, who are you picking? Say that question again. Let's pretend you have a severely hurt back, but now you've got to wrestle a 60 minute Ironman match, but you get to pick the opponent, the ultimate warrior or Goldberg. I would say Goldberg probably. Yeah. You got to think he's, he's a better worker. Um, I would say he would be more compassionate and understand the scenario that you were faced with and pitch in to do what he could do to make it right. I would think if he had to dig down, he's probably got more, uh, stuff in the tank as far as knowledge and, and being in shape and, and, and all those things. Um, yeah, I'd say Goldberg. Travis Peters has a couple of interesting questions here. Here's one that we've never talked about. How did you get along with Stephanie McMahon? Oh, fine. Never had a crossword with Stephanie whatsoever. Uh, she was very supportive when I came from, uh, um, WCW. And when I was brought over in the transition, you know, I spent a few months, you know, just kind of sitting in the meetings and, uh, and, you know, I wasn't saying anything because, I mean, we were absorbed by them. It was their company. I was just fortunate to be working there. I felt like I'd somehow landed on my feet and didn't know really how. But in those days, you just kind of kept your mouth shut. And I remember after one meeting, <clears throat> which I'd always got gotten, you know, along with Hunter, you know, when he was just talent, we got along really well. And he had started to move up that ladder, obviously, um, as far as importance and power and stroke and all that. And she basically just kind of pulled me aside after a meeting one day. And she said, you know, my husband says you're a smart guy. I wish you'd start speaking up at those meetings. So I did. And we all see where that ended up. <laughs> I love you for that. That's a fact, Jack. Well, here's another fact. If you're listening to this podcast right now, I want you to take a second and look down. When was the last time you shaved your junk? It's been a while. Don't lie. Let's take a second to thank our sponsor Manscaped for holding you accountable for getting rid of the funk and shave your junk. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below the waist grooming and hygiene. And Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their perfect package 3.0 essentials kit. This is the ultimate solution. It's all the perfect tools you need for your family jewels. We're talking about the perfect package 3.0 kit. It comes with a brand new lawnmower 3.0, which of course is waterproof and it has a cordless body trimmer and it is a ton of other liquid formulations to round out all your manscaping routines. This third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Now millions of balls are about to be Nick free. Thanks to manscapes, advanced skin safe technology. And of course, let's not forget about the crop preserver an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. So why not put it on the smelliest part of your body? 
And when you purchase this new perfect package, 3.0 kit at manscaped.com, you get the biggest bang for your buck. Subscribers can get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean for a limited time. Subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The, the shed travel bag, which is a $39 value add and the patented high performance anti-chafing manscape boxer briefs. This is the perfect package for your perfect package. And just because you listen to this show, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code ARN. That's A R N at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with that promo code ARN at manscaped.com. One last time, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Just use the promo code ARN. Your partner, your body, and your balls will thank you. And Arn, you know a thing or two about personal hygiene and grooming, don't you? I'm still looking down. Can I look up now? You can. Yes, sir. Okay. I'm not impressed. I was looking down. <laughs> so you, you have the solution. I do. Actually, I sent you and Brock one. Uh, actually, I sent you two. I don't want y'all having to share dick hair trimmers, uh, but I'm yeah. hopeful that you guys can give us some good news soon. And you can, uh, maybe you can. You know, make the, uh, the, what's the old thing? The, the carpet match, the drapes, you can make that happen. Maybe you could fashion a comb over down there for yourself. Well, look at, Hey, cooler with the comb over shit. Now you're getting heat. <laughs> Fact is, if you get a pair, a free pair of bloomers, just by mentioning my name, how can you go wrong? Right. And 20% off. Come on. Take care of your dick here, son. Go to manscaped.com. Use the promo code ARN. Uh, Travis wants to know, knowing how hard you work to bring honor to the title, how did you feel when Hall and Nash threw the television title in the trash in 1999? Oh, I didn't look at that as being anything. They were just getting heat. You know, the guys were heels. It's, um, you know, a lot of stuff they did, you know, it's just, it was just good stuff. I mean, I, I don't think, I didn't take that as a personal anything towards me. It was just their way of saying out with the old in with the new, right? Chris hunt writes in, since you've been in several war games matches, I'm curious to know your opinion of the NXT version of the match. Didn't see it. Don't know anything about it. Well, there's no top. Uh, and, uh, there's a, a platform in the corner for you to jump off. Well, if there's no top, then the whole match changes. It's not a war games. I agree. If there's no way out, if there's just, if you're trapped in there for 40 minutes and there's no way to get out, no way to do anything, uh, resembling getting away or get, you know, nowhere you can go to catch a breath and it's a whole different match entirely. So they should probably name it something else. Noble Burkhead writes in, did you ever see the movie beyond the mat? And if so, what'd you think? Beyond the mat. Who was in that? You would have seen, uh, sort of behind the scenes of Mick Foley during his unbelievable match with the rock. When he took all those unprotected chair shots, you would have seen Terry Funk main eventing ECW and winning the world title in an advanced stage. You would have also seen Jake, the snake on the independence when he was still struggling with addiction. Oh God, I did see that one. And, um, the thing with Jake, it broke my heart. It absolutely ripped my guts out. I'll never forget when that went off the air and he was got up from the 
the table, I guess, he was sitting across from his daughter and walked down that walked down that Ramada Inn, I believe it was, carpet, and uh, disappeared down the hall. It was one of the most depressing things I've ever seen in my life. And for a guy that was a star, the magnitude of Jake the Snake and the performer, to see him at that point in his life, it just floored me. And I just had a sick feeling in my stomach. I did see that. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was horrible. I, I'm so glad that, that he is uh, leading a much better life Absolutely. these days. But, Ben, that was an all-time low. Juan DeMarco writes in, do you have a dream match that you wanted to have but never did happen? Yeah, one that I won. I would love, I'd love to want a match somewhere along the way. Jamie Waldrop wants to know, what do you think is the best tag finisher past and present in your opinion? The best tag team finisher. Hmm. Gosh, well, I don't know. What do you think, Conrad? What's the best one you've ever seen? You know, you're going to laugh, maybe. Maybe not, but I always thought that Power and Glories was underrated, where Hercules would do the top rope superplex and Paul Roma would immediately come flying over from the other corner doing a body splash for the pin. I thought that was really, really cool, as a kid at least. That's pretty spectacular, isn't it? It is. And I mean, I think somebody should be using it now, and, and maybe you know we'll start seeing it on TV again. I know that there have been folks who sort of flirted with it here or there, but I don't know that it's been a consistent finisher these days. And, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it, that's one of those that again, until you bring it up, you know, and refresh my memory, I didn't even remember that that, that was a thing. Um, but yeah, that that's that's pretty pretty damn spectacular. Yes, I mean, logically, I think the. Uh, the spike pile driver that you and Tully did in the, um, WWF was pretty spectacular. I mean, it made a lot of sense at least. And I think, you know, from the, from these days where you're really looking to, to wow an audience, the Meltzer driver from the young box, the flip into a pile driver is sort of what you and Tully did just with the volume turned all the way up. You bet. And you know, there's a lot of stuff that I see today from these young kids that are, you know, I see like the, like the Luchas, for example, uh, AEW, those guys, the brothers, uh, they do some stuff that aren't finishes that should be, that really should be that, that scare the shit out of me. I mean, they're so close to, to driving a guy's head through the mat. You can't really tell that they didn't until you see the guy walk out of the ring. It's that close. Uh, but high impact stuff. And, uh, I just see stuff every day that, that could be utilized so much better because anytime something big happens in a match, and this is just kind of getting off the subject, but anything that gets, uh, a feature role in a match, but is more spectacular than the finish, I think a mistake was made and that's just general psychology. Uh, 
very fascinating question here from Vernon Santos, especially because you've talked to us about how much you enjoyed working in the Pensacola area because you got to, you know, be on the beach every day. Vernon writes in, did you ever consider wrestling in Puerto Rico before joining Crockett? That does feel like it would have been right up your alley, you know, being on the beach every day. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful place. Um, a lot of guys enjoyed going down there. They would go for a period of time or in and out, um, you know, a couple, three times a month. Uh, I have been to Puerto Rico for WWE. It is a beautiful place. I did get a chance to look around a little bit. I'm pretty sure that living in Pensacola and working in Pensacola was at that particular time a better call being the fact that it was a stable six days a week job. It was priced for a military income, which a lot of people don't know. Everything in Pensacola, there's such a large Navy base there, is priced from housing to groceries to gas to everything you could probably think of has to be priced for a military income, which makes the cost of living go down and a lot more a uh, plausible place to live if you're looking for economics. And, uh, you know, now, plus they got the most beautiful beach in the world. Uh, it's not a bad deal. Not a bad deal at all. And we hope that you guys have not had a bad deal this week. Checking out hashtag ask aren't anything. So many great questions. We didn't get a chance to get to this week, but we'll be back in two weeks with another hashtag ask aren't anything. Of course, Every other week we're doing this format and we appreciate you guys supporting us. If you'd like to hear your question on the show, the only way to participate is to follow us on Twitter at the Arn show. Uh, and when you cruise over to at the Arn show on Twitter, you'll see something pinned near the top asking for questions and you'll have an opportunity to pick his brain every other week. But next week we're back on track and we're doing something. I think this is the most recent show I've ever done or the most recent topic. How about elimination chamber 2018? And went down on February 25th, 2018, uh, right there in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is going to be an interesting show to say the least. I'm looking forward to that. Does anything stand out? Are you looking forward to that show or do you sort of dread talking about more modern WWE stuff? No, I don't dread it. I was fortunate to work there and have a job there and, and all the benefits that, that, that I had, um, stable company, uh, you know, you, you kind of see a lot of places without seeing them uh, as far as getting to travel and all that. But really only end up seeing is the airport, the hotel, the gym, and the, the arena. But uh, no, no, you know, I don't have nothing but negative feelings towards that. I have a lot of positive feelings. And I think this was the era when Ronda Rousey was being featured, correct? Yeah, we're going to have uh, an Elimination Chamber main event with Roman Reigns, but the underneath we've got, well, a mixed bag of things. But certainly, Ronda Rousey is going to be uh, something that people start talking about in a big way. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that was a big deal. That's a big deal for our industry and for the that company. And Ronda Rousey is a badass, buddy, and was a badass for a long time. She was the face of MMA, for God's sakes. And when you got people like John Jones and Daniel Cormier and 
you know, the Diaz brothers and guys like that in the industry. And Rhonda is up there neck and neck being featured on the same breath with those guys. Pretty damn stout. It is pretty stout. We'll talk about it next week in long form elimination chamber 2018 right here on Arn. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.